0: Tune into WPKN Bridgeport at 89.5 and WPKN.org.
1: Stay tuned for the organic farm stand coming right up.
0: Corn in the fields, listen to the rice when the
2: wind blows across the water. king harvest is surely come. I work union cuz she's so good to
1: Well, welcome to WP Can's Organic Farm Stand, which comes to you the first and third st- first.
3: first and third Thursdays of the month.
1: Of each month, that's correct. I am off to a uh, stumbling start here. <laughs> Well, and uh, that can be explained by the fact that I am Richard Hill. And I'm here with Ms. Modlin. Laura, Laura Modlin is here. Where is Chris um, where?
3: I think he's fishing today. <laughs> <laughs> or working on his garden. One of the two.
1: No, 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 no. no he's, he's, he's roaming the hills, uh, 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 doing inventory someplace.
3: That's, he is working, actually. Yeah, he's the, out there. there.
1: Well, he will have to soldier on without him, but we do have, to help us soldier through this uh, hour, Steve Munno from Masaro Farms. Steve, thank you so much for being here. Great to be here. Yeah, we have so much to talk about today because... Oh uh, my gosh. Yeah, yeah, the, we had a, a real <laughs> meteorological challenge that came upon us in the past 24 hours. And uh, But Laura, you have a whole bunch of stuff you're going to do with us today. Yeah. And... Um, so let's uh, duh, 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 duh. let's start it out with uh, your report. Your report, your solar lunar report.
3: Okay, well, um, so since the last show, May 4th, how much time light daylight do you think we've gained?
1: Since the last show. Since the last show the fourth um, two
3: weeks in two weeks.
1: 40 minutes. Now. No, wrong again.
3: Steve, do you know?
0: Uh, maybe. It just feels like we've gained quite a lot, so maybe it maybe, it's, uh, maybe it's 70 minutes.
3: <laughs> no, no, but it does feel that way. It really feels longer days now, but it's only 27 minutes since the last time, oh uh, right? And so um, today, sunrise was at 532, which was 14 minutes earlier than the last Too two weeks ago.
1: damned early for my taste.
3: Yeah, and I know I can't get sunrise as much as I used to. For my, I you know, for I love sunrise, but I don't get up as I don't get up in time enough. Anymore. Because
1: I've I've trained you to stay up later. You're so. teach.
3: You're like. Forcing me. You know, you call me at night and you say, Don't do go to not, sleep. <laughs> Don't go
1: to I, sleep. I, that's not true. That is no. not true. But um, I, I have mentored you, you into, have. into changing your lifestyle. I, I
3: have, and I have. And, so now yeah. and that unfortunately means I have to sacrifice sunrises. Um, but then the sunset tonight will be at eight oh seven PM, which is thirteen minutes later than two weeks ago. So we're gonna have a total today of I wish I had a drum roll. 14 hours and 35 minutes today. And so the summer solstice is on the 21st, which is in five weeks or so, about five weeks. And that means, and on that day, we'll have 15 hours and nine minutes. So we only have 34 minutes left uh, to, you know, to gain, gain. Mm -hmm. and, and, but it does, Steve was right. It feels like the days are so much longer. Um, well, we're coming down
1: the home stretch to, really? to the solstice. It's
3: it's going to be sad because on the other end of June twenty first, I'm going to have to say, okay, well, yeah. Then know, we started we days, lost started we lost dry. daylight. I know. Again. I just,
1: look, as far as I'm concerned, summer is over on the solstice, right? I mean, in because a sense. it
3: starts getting yeah, darker. Summer's over. It's we're summer. heading towards the winter solstice. That's correct. So, um, tomorrow is a new moon tomorrow morning and it is the new it is the strawberry moon cycle and so it's the new strawberry moon and it'll be full on june 4th and um and here's something i thought was interesting which you might like it's going to be followed a few days later by the moon by the moon's close approach to venus and mars and um, which, you know, you, although it's I don't know if you'll get up early enough <laughs> to see it, <laughs> on May 23rd, it'll be close to Venus, and on May 24th, it'll be close to Mars. So, mm.
1: and also, so that means in our, in our night sky, we'll see the moon very, I mean... There, there it's going
3: to be a new moon, but you might be oh. able to see kind of a little outline.
1: With, with uh, Venus and Mars...
3: And like you know, and and smack
1: up, smack up against the moon. Is that what you're saying?
3: They're close. They're like really close. And Venus, as you know, is very bright. So yes,
1: yes, it's a flashy, sort of uh, exhibitionistic <laughs> kind of planet.
3: Right. So um, anyway, I'm, I have. To, I know we have a lot to do today. So um, <laughs> I do want to mention that save the sound. Is, which is committed to a trash-free Connecticut, has a couple of events coming up on Saturday, um, this Saturday at 9 to 11. They're going to be at Jennings Beach, and you could join them if you want. Ben & Jerry's will be providing ice so cream.
1: No, we're not supposed to mention Ben & Jerry's. <laughs> oh, okay. But Je- Jennings Beach is in Fairfield.
3: In Fairfield. Yep. And if it rains, if it's which it, it's, it's predicted to, the, it's being changed to um, Saturday, June 3rd, and being held at Sherwood Island State Park. And um, Sunday, this Sunday at noon, 9 a.m. to noon, at the Stony Creek Brewery in Brantford, um, there's going to be they're going to be going towards to multiple sites in town owned um, parcels of the Brantford River.
1: Yeah. Yep, that's my hometown. And uh, I just I noted in their press release, Save the Sound, a fantastic organization, which, uh, by the way, one of our um, supporters here at WPKN, they uh, noted that one of the most prolific uh, polluters or defilers of our beaches is uh, cigarette butts. Really? Yes. Another
3: reason not to smoke.
1: Yeah, and it's also another reason to pass an ordinance in Brantford to uh, actually outlaw smoking. There is a policy in Brantford banning smoking on all our beaches and parks, but they so far have not passed an ordinance and they really haven't done much signage about no smoking uh, to amplify or disseminate the the notion that we do have a policy in Brantford for no smoking on our parks and beaches. So it goes with the Brantford Town government. Well, um, That's is that, it. does that conclude your report? Yes, Actually, I want to
3: hear what Steve has to say.
1: Yes, indeed, because we, we had this weather, this meteorological challenge. Uh, but we also want to mention that we do have two guests today.
3: Absolutely. We have two urban environmentalists and who are doing great things in their towns of New Haven and right here in Bridgeport. And they're going to be telling us about how they're greening things up and involving youth and communities as a whole.
1: Fantastic. Yeah. Good good report, Laura. Thank you. Steve, uh, yes, we um, we did have a challenge. And I'm wondering... If uh, Laura reported she had frost in Southfield, is that where you? Southbury. Southbury, uh, Steve, what was it like uh, this morning in uh, up there in um, at Masaro Farm?
0: So, uh, happily, everything here was okay. You know, okay. we were watching the, the the temperature, and we saw uh, you know forecast showing thirty six degrees, thirty seven, thirty eight. You know, throughout the week uh, for last night into this morning. And that usually tells me we're going to be a few degrees colder. Um, and sure enough, our weather station showed 31 degrees, uh, at around 4 a.m. this morning. But, uh, you know, in terms of how our crops are doing, everything's okay. You know, we've been watching this cold snap coming for the last week. Um, so we've held, we held off on planting out our cucumbers, our squash, our tomatoes, our peppers, our eggplants. So they're all still tucked in in their greenhouse. Um, And not, you know, we're not exposed to that cold temp. Uh, We do have some cucumbers and and tomatoes planted in our unheated tunnels. uh, And those seem to make it uh, just fine. You know, hopefully it won't affect their growth trajectory, having such a, a dip in temperatures. We really don't like them being out. Um, under 40 degrees, but the, the, the tunnels, you know, will protect them and, and give us a few degrees extra warmth because the tunnels are not heated. It's just the the sun that heats it up during the day and we can trap that heat in overnight. Um, so happily, it was sort of a, a an abbreviated dip into that zone below freezing. Uh, and even, you know, late last night, it was still at, at about 40 degrees here. So a, a small, uh, dip below freezing, everything here seems okay and hopefully we won't ha- have any growth trajectory impacted by that. But I know throughout the state there were places where it got colder, and there's still some frost warnings uh, tonight in other places throughout the state, uh, though, though not here at Massaro and Woodbridge. We're looking at 40 degrees, 45-degree uh, lows tonight, um, and then some more warm weather coming our way after that.
1: Mm. Okay, we made it through the uh, crisis there. Uh, what That's good. What, how much planting... Have you done outside? I mean, are there any crops that you you actually already put out outdoors that are not so vulnerable to cold temperatures?
0: Yeah, the, the stuff that's out there can, you know. I mean, we'd prefer it didn't get that cold, but it can handle it. We've we've got, you know, um, kale, broccoli, um, turnips, radishes, onions, scallions, lettuce. Um, you know, a number of things out there that can handle it. Um, you know. Happily, though we've had some warm spells, there's also been plenty of nights in the 40s, so it's not a shocking dip. And because also it was such a brief dip, um, you know, hopefully it it won't affect them as as they grow too much. Um, You know, the other thing that happens here is it's quite windy. And so we use our tunnels a lot to... to, to keep things covered and protected a little bit more, over the years, we've used less and less row cover out in the fields because of the wind. And yesterday was one of those days where we, we had, you know, steady wind at 15 to 20 miles an hour throughout the day. Um, so trying to cover up would be pretty challenging for all of our crops that are already out there in the ground. Um, but that's why we've got those earliest planted cucumbers and and tomatoes are in the tunnel, Um, so we're not worried about the the sort of frost cover blowing off of them, but we've got them protected in a secure structure. Um, But, yeah, there's plenty planted outside, and now that we're through this, you know, we're, we're ready to hustle some more plants into the ground, cucumbers, squash, watermelon, tomato, pepper, eggplants, cherry tomatoes, uh, all getting ready to go out there. Um, so, those are the sort of more tender things, you know, for, for that don't want to be exposed to that kind of temperature uh, that we want to put out. And that's, I was talking about the first week of May, you know, could be nice to plant, but you got to look at that 10 day forecast and, and see, and hopefully by May 15th we're cleared. So, today's the 18th and we had, you know, 31 degrees at, at this morning here. Um, you know, it's in people hopefully are aware that that's still always possible in mid-May to get a frost like that. Um, you know, and I'm sure it was uh, harsher elsewhere throughout the state.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, as uh, Laura said, she had frost this morning in Southbury. Um, and I, as I strode uh, forthrightly to my car today, it felt like sort of an October day, sort of brisk. Beautiful, actually, mm-hmm. beautiful, refreshing, but... Uh, uh, it's a, a bit of a cold shower, so to speak, after mm-hmm. after the hot weather that we've had. So, Steve, as we um, explore this uh, season, this planting season, what what might our listeners be thinking about planting now, uh, if they have either? I, I I I guess at this stage, is there anything that you would suggest in terms of actually starting from seeds at this point, or from little seedlings, and by the way, I think you you actually have seedlings that you help people get at, at your farmer's markets and at the farm. Um, what? But what, what do you suggest for people that are starting to plant now?
0: Yeah, so this is a great time to plant just about anything. And so, you know, again, just a small caveat, if you're somewhere where it might frost tonight, maybe hold off on putting out a plant that doesn't want to be frosted upon. Uh, but, you know, generally at this time, there's so much that can go into the ground either by seed or seeding. So um, you can put, you know, all sorts of greens directly in the ground, um, whether that's lettuce, arugula, spinach. Um, you know, you can put things like carrots and radishes and beets, and chard. You know, those things can can go in either directly by seed or by transplant. Um, this is a great time to get started with cucumbers and squash, winter squash, watermelon, um, you know, those things like the warmer soil. So if um, if you can start them inside and then plant them out, you know, in about 10 days or two weeks, um, that can be nice. But you can put those seeds directly in the ground, too. Um, you know, the, the germination rate for these seeds, it takes a little bit longer in cooler soil, which is one of the advantages to starting inside and make sure where it's a little bit more warm consistently, and then you can plant them out knowing that they've germinated. Um, but it's okay to put those seeds directly in the ground. So this is a time, you know, if you want something in your garden, whatever it is, this is the time that you can put it in the ground. There's sort of, uh, I would say, little to no restriction. If you want, you know, string beans or pole beans, Corn. There's all sorts of things that you can start to get going um, either directly or or by seedling. And we do have seedlings for sale here. And wherever you are, if you've got a farmer's market near you, I'm sure your local farms are bringing seedlings to the market. Um, Or if you've got a good natural food store, there's probably seedlings near you as well. Uh, that might come from a local farm, so um, lots of op- opportunities out there to to get seedlings for your for your home, for your garden, for your community garden plot. A um, big thing for us this year, you know, and every year is our annual Celebrate Spring event, which will be this Sunday. Uh, we're we're seeing the forecast for rain on Saturday, so Sunday from one to five p.m. We have our annual seedling sale, but we also have a lot of local artists here on the farm. We, they set up, um, uh, all these artists make little fairy houses and their fairy house trails sort of set up throughout our farm. We've got local artists uh, with their uh, with with their creations for sale on the farm. So it's sort of a local artist vendor fair, um, fairy house trail. We'll have some music and food trucks and such here. So it's a really great day on, on the farm to come visit. Uh, and explore, pick up seedlings if you'd like. Uh, support some local artists too. It's a free community event, uh, 1 p.m. to 5 p.m. here at Masaro Farm in Woodbridge. And so, that's, so that's what we're getting ready for, and Sunday. Uh, as well as all the planting and stuff. Sunday, yep, this Sunday, mm-hmm. May 21st.
1: Great, sounds. Ooh, sounds like we've got to put that on our calendars. And yeah. just a r- reminder that Masaro Farm is a nonprofit organization, and it's uh, you know really intertwined with the community in many ways. And uh, this kind of event is sort of an an exemplar of that. So um, I think uh, I I do have more questions for you, Steve, but maybe we'll sort of integrate those into the conversation as we go along. So we do have an interesting program coming up. Yeah. Um, And uh, so why don't we get right on with our first guest, Laura?
3: Okay. So first up, we have Christina Smith, Um, She is the executive director of Groundwork Bridgeport. She's a native to to Bridgeport who's lived and studied in many cities and returned to the city she was born in, wanting to be part of community development and making it a place people will love to be living.
1: Well, um, yeah, we're certainly uh, delighted to have Christina with us today. Christina, how are you doing? And uh, tell us a little bit about your mission and what this is all about, planting trees in Bridgeport, but uh, trying to get the community involved in the process.
4: Sure, uh, and thank you for having me. Um, so, yes, uh, this coming um, Sunday, uh, we are doing a free tree giveaway event as part of our overall tree programming Uh, So I've been with the organization for the last seven years. Uh, Groundwork is focused on community revitalization, uh, mostly known for its kind of physical environment work, so that um, being tree plantings. Um, So our goal for this year is to plant 200 trees, but as part of um, our tree programming this year, we're giving away 100 trees with the first 50 happening this Sunday on the east side uh, from 10 to 1 p.m. Um, at a Helen Street green space, which you can access using the address 553 Helen Street.
1: 553 Helen Street. Is that what you said? Yes. Okay. Um, and tell us how this project actually started, and it sounds quite uh wonderful to you know the the idea of of greening a city an inner city or you know an environment that is basically uh concrete and glass how how does this work tell us about the a little bit about it
4: a little bit more about groundwork um for context so the organization was started just over 20 years ago officially incorporated in 1999 and it's based off of a model in the uk actually. Uh, where groundwork start in post-industrial cities that, you know, had their former glory, but then industry moved, kind of leaving blight on the community in Mm. terms of vacant space and brownfield land and things of that nature. So the goal of groundwork was to go into um, these cities and help with revitalizing these vacant spaces into either green spaces or community gardens or anything just about, you know, removing that kind of Ice or potentially from the community. Um, in more recent years, with things, you know, with climate change and discussions about the environment and, and environmental justice and ecological damage, um, and science is just knowing better about how um, natural processes contribute to, you know, a better earth. So, trees helping with urban heat island and cleaning the air and helping with flood mitigation to a certain extent by absorbing water with their roots. Um, we focus a lot on, on tree programming because it's so multi-solving. So not only does it bring kind of aesthetic values, um, make it better for the community, but it does all of these other, has all of these other benefits. Um, so over the, last, over the last year, actually, I think we've raised via grants um, upwards of $400,000 towards tree programming. Um, both mostly for planting, as well as for tree care, because of course, if you you know put the trees in the ground and you take all the nice pictures, and then they're dead like a year later, they're not obviously serving any value. And so we're really trying to up our community involvement in taking care of trees because we are a small organization. Just just a year ago, we only had you know two 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 two, two and a half staff. Um, So we need a community to be involved with helping to adopt the trees if we plant them in front of their house to help with watering them the first few years to to ensure their survival or at least try to increase their survival rate. Um, But a number of the tree plantings we've done has been with the city of Bridgeport. All of the trees we plant have been mostly with on public land. So we work a lot with the city of Bridgeport, find out where they know that trees need to be um, put in, and we work with them to work at those locations with volunteer groups, whether it's, you know, local banks or local restaurants or the students who participate in our year-round service learning program uh, where they learn about how to make their community better and they come up with ideas of what they would like to see happening in the community.
1: How do you communicate with residents of a community in which you are going to do these plantings? I mean, how, how do they get involved and do they have any say in the placement of the trees, suggesting, you know, maybe suggest making suggestions and also in the choice of what type of trees.
4: So for this tree giveaway, um, we sent we did a, a did a mailer. So we were focusing on the east side, although we've recently opened up the tree giveaway to other zip codes in the community. But we were focusing on the 06608 zip code because data has shown that it has the least amount of tree canopy um, compared to the city overall. So I think the city overall has between 19 and 20 percent, or a little bit more, that, um, whereas the east side has about 7 percent canopy, um, and so our Goal was to, you know, think about tree like equity in that sense of trying to make sure that we're getting trees to where they're needed the most. And so we did a mailer out to the 06608 um, postal code. I think it was about 5,000 households. Um, Do we've done Facebook and like Instagram posts. Um, we've sent out to our mailing list um, to reach out to people. Uh, So we try to reach out to people the best ways that we know possible. I think we sent out a press release as well. And then the community for the tree giveaway has an option of five trees, gray birch, northern red oak, serviceberry, sweet gum and tulip tree. Uh, So those trees are either from like smallish, you know, maximum, like growing up to 20 feet to larger trees growing up to, you know, 50 feet and above. Um, So the community has the options and a couple of those are flowering trees. because We know residents often like flowering trees. Um, So that's generally how we've communicated with the community.
1: That's great. Uh, And I love the fact that you give a choice of of different trees. Like where on a a given street might these trees appear? Would they be sort of in the, you know, between the the street and the sidewalk? Yeah, the
4: right of way. Um, so for the giveaway, the, the residents um, in particular, if they're, they're tenants needing to get a, approval from the, the homeowners or the homeowners, these trees are th- the, the ideas that they're planting them in their yards um, or if they want to plant in the right-of-way um and most of the time we do any right of way uh tree plantings. of course again we we talk to the city and get approval from the city for that and of course do a call before you dig just making sure that's out there to <laughs> so make sure people are not digging into pipes um but yes that's that's generally the thought with residents is either they're planting in their their yard whether their front yard their side yard their backyard or potentially in the right of way
1: and uh, finally yeah. I'm sorry, Laura, let me get you up. There you go.
3: Uh, I do have a question. Um, With um, Christina, with the trees that you're planting, do you look into what trees are native to the area and um, how they upstand the weather? Yes, we always,
4: um, we always, our preference is for native trees. um, Again, because we're trying to be multi-solving and supporting the full life cycle um, of insects and bugs and things of that nature. I've read several books by um, Doug Ptolemy, who's an entomologist, um, and the importance of su- supporting the whole life cycle. Um, and so of course, oaks are the ones, the best trees for supporting so many different um, species. Um, and so, yes, our focus is mostly on native trees. Sometimes a challenge to get native trees, like a lot of the nurseries um, won't often have, you know, a full stock of native trees but that is our focus um, when we're doing tree
3: plantings. That's great.
1: And how does the, the actual process work? Do you, do you drop off a tree and, and let the residents take it from there, or do you have people helping and supervising and distributing tools or what? I'm not sure. It, yeah. know, how does that work?
4: In this case, and it's our first time at least in my you know, tenure at the organization doing a giveaway, Um, the residents are to come and pick up trees at the site on Sunday. Um, and then we will be giving them some like guidance, um, like instructions, like handouts. Um, and I, I think, I can't remember if we're giving them some tools for them to help with, um, knowing how to plant the tree at their yard. But also because it's the first time, because you're, you know, certain that maybe not everyone will have trees we'll we'll also give them the option of like hey if you need help with planting your tree um, please reach out to us and we will come to your house to help you with the tree planting
1: yeah that's fantastic and so is this this is not the first time you've done this tree planting project is it
4: tree planting no we do those routinely we're doing another one tomorrow we did a a couple the, in the last two weeks um, but this is the first time we're doing the actual tree giveaway so we're, oh, okay. we're learning as we go in this, mm-hmm. this process working with so this project was made possible with funding from the from TD Bank and the Arbor Day Foundation um, and so they're actually coming this weekend both on Saturday and Sunday to do filming of the, the giveaway and there will be several TD Bank staff on Sunday helping with the distribution of the trees um, and also helping with potentially like Doing some cleanup and stewardship work at the Helen Street space, um, which is again publicly owned land that we did some work on to kind of revitalize the space for the community.
1: Well, we wish you really great luck with this project. As you're launching it here for getting the community actually involved in uh, obtaining and planting these trees, why don't you just give out the information one more time about where people can go, what they have to do to get you know participate in this
4: great so it's this coming sunday may 21st from 10 a.m to 1 p.m um they can residents can go to www.gwbpt.org and look on our events page um, to sign up there Uh, but otherwise if they just want to show up at the event they can either go to the 553 address sorry 553 helen street address or if they're driving um, we use they can use the address 970 boston avenue which will take them to a parking lot right by the space where we will be distributing the trees
1: Wonderful. Well, thank you very much, Christina Smith, for telling us about uh, this wonderful project uh, Groundwork Bridgeport is implementing this weekend. And we wish you again great luck with this. Hope it goes well. And this is the first of many of these projects.
4: Thank you, Christina. Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah, great. Thank you so much for being with us.
3: All right.
1: Bye. Bye bye. Okay. And now moving right along.
3: Yeah, we're doing well today. We really are keeping on track.
1: Yeah, we're on schedule here. Yeah. Thank you, thank you, Steve, for standing by. And, and don't hesitate to pop in with any thoughts or questions on any of the things. Okay, great.
3: So, so next up, we have... Um, uh um Doreen Abu Bakar and um she has done amazing work in New Haven. Um she's been a beacon of environmental service there for more than thirty years and she has um has converted um a space which was a drug den into um a community place with, where she makes where she grows and sells native plants with the help of youth in New Haven and all sorts of other things I don't know how she does it but um, and she's also raised five kids while she's doing all this. <laughs> <laughs> so, welcome, Doreen.
5: Thank you. Yeah, for having me today. Fa-
1: fantastic to have you. Well, I lived in New Haven for 30 years and uh, I know there's uh, a challenge there to try to make that city green and beautiful for for all residents of the city. Tell us how uh what inspired you to get involved in 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 making this project come to life in your in your area there.
5: Um it it really was divine intervention. (laughs) Uh basically was walking in the area. I am a visionary. Um I believe in people having a purpose and and mine has been, in many different ways, seeing things that others can't see. Um, so I actually uh, went to Newhallville. Uh, I had a grant for parent engagement. And I was like, oh, where should I do this? Where should I bring this program? And I said to myself, well, it seemed that a lot of times there was a lot of negative things on the news, in the papers about what's going on in Newhallville. And I grew up on uh, Asylum Street, right next to Davenport Park, one block away from Congress Avenue. So let's just say I'm no stranger to uh, challenged neighborhoods. Um, but my mom owned a house, and I was a basketball player. So it, it, it was sort of all those things that made me feel like I could go into a neighborhood um, like this. Well, anyway, while walking down the street, I saw this big area. I didn't know at the time it was called the mud hole, and I didn't know it had all this um, negative um, things written about it in the 90s. But I saw a space that could lend itself to the people that ride the trail and the people that live in that community. For the people in the community, health and wellness um the challenge of uh health disparities uh was the plight of the neighborhood and then for the people who are riding the trail they're riding to work maybe to the yale um, community um you know and and they're using it as transportation and or for health and leisure benefits. so Right then and there, I saw a vision of an outdoor gym, a water fountain, a bicycle repair station, tables and chairs for people to sit down. And then what I was able to add to it first was just starting with community beautification. How do I get the community start thinking about that they can actually transform this space? So that's how it started.
1: Tell us about that space a little bit more. You, you mentioned a trail. Are you talking about literally like a bike trail going through that area? Or? Oh,
5: yes. It's the Farmington Canal Trail okay. Greenway. goes from New Haven all the way to Massachusetts. And one of the main, the main area where it opens up to the community of New Haven is right there in this space that they call the mud hole.
1: Was- right
5: there in yeah, yes.
1: What does that space look like? I mean, is it was it completely sort of just like barren? Guess, uh,
5: just think of like an unkept green space with no fencing around it. You know how sometimes you ride by mm. a vacant lot? Yes. So, so this didn't have a fence around. It was just a, a big, pretty good-sized space, considering what I was able to do with it, um, that was unkept mm-hmm. by both the... The riders who just looked and said, oh, my goodness, look at all this, right, as they're going to work. And the neighborhood who's like, wow, whose space is that? Who's supposed to keep that up?
1: <laughs> yes, I've seen a few of those in, in, in my many years in New Haven. But so, so how did you tackle this? It sounds like a pretty big project. How did you, how'd you implement it? How did you get it going? And what were some of the moving parts?
5: I really started with just community beautification. I connected to URI and they gave us plants, of course. And we just started with the, 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 the side rail of the trail. We started planting in there native plants that we, were, that we had received from URI. We applied for a grant with the Urban Oasis, with uh, Audubon, Connecticut. And they gave us some uh, natives to put in there, and we just started beautifying the the space. And what I found very exciting is that the first people that joined me in that were the young people. You can think about this neighborhood has 7,500 people within a one-mile radius.
3: Uh, Can I interrupt for a minute? What did you think brought all those young people to you? Because that could help other people, and you know, because involving the young people is very, very key. Well, you have to be
5: committed to do it for one. That's where it starts. If you're doing it for show, if you're doing it for numbers, you can very well, um, you know, give up before you even... Uh, get established in a neighborhood for over 30 years, it was the mud hole. It was a destitute space. There was nothing going on. So I started doing things in the space and invited others to join as they passed by. And and the kids really gravitated to it because for all these years and for generations, there was nothing positive going on in this, in Newhallville, in the space, the whole community why? Because it's predominantly residential. The city didn't put a park there. They had no park.
1: So let's start from the beginning. You, did you do this as an individual, just going in there and starting to plant, or did you have a team of people? And, and oh, yeah, how,
5: as an individual. You know.
1: Oh my God! So tell us what it was like to, to start, and what kind of plants you put in there, and and what was the first? I, I can't, I'm trying to picture this. You, you, you know, you one person going in and just tackling this this project.
5: Yes. Um, so when I first went in, you had a few kids who would come by and and you know like the little little ones, and they would they would want to plant, and then. Um, so wait. Let's
1: Let's, let's do. The, let's do this. One step at a time. You walked in there with some gardening tools and some plants, just yourself.
5: Yes. Wow. That's, with the support of URI, so what I is URI? advantage of the resources. It's Urban Resource Initiative. Okay. Um, they supply many neighborhoods with um, plants to beautify uh, green spaces. In New Haven, we have quite a few Friends of the Park kind of people but this wasn't a park this was just a a a space but they did support me uh with the plants we would do it once a week and then they also gave us some tools and then uh some bikers a bike group was um there one day um cleaning up they had decided to do a cleanup there they had organized it. And I met them. I just happened to be there at that time and met the leader of that. His name was, his name is Aaron good. And he has the, uh, friends of the Farmington canal trail group and they were cleaning up the space. And so I went to them and I said, Hey, did you guys invite the neighborhood? And they all look (laughs) at me and I was just like, okay, I said, well, when is the next time? Maybe we can plan it together and I'll ask around in the neighborhood
3: mm-hmm. for
5: people to come out. Yeah. And so we did and it was interesting that when we came back for the date that was planned by the both of us, more of the community was there than the bike group.
1: Wow. Nice going. That's pretty good. So you, and
5: you, then I said there's only two reasons that that happened. One is Sometimes we do things because we feel like we have to do it. Nobody wants to do it. But we didn't do our due diligence to even invite.
3: Mm-hmm.
5: And then the second thing is that, oh, okay, they got a person now that's going to help do something with that area. We, I don't need to go. This doesn't <laughs> need to be my extra thing that I do. The community is going to do it.
1: Right. So did you go like door to door to tell people about this? Is that, was that yes. part of it? hmm Yeah, yeah. And, and so how many people did you get uh, on that first day when, when you and the bikers all got together?
5: It was really the handful of the young people who had been coming. Okay. They came back out. Mm-hmm. I still will say that um, I've been there now since 2014. Wow. So it in that space, I had to prove that I'm there to stay because the neighborhood had not experienced for generations, anybody. I mean, there was no nonprofit servicing that whole neighborhood of 7,500 people. I mean, like who was going in that neighborhood knocking on doors?
1: Right. right.
5: And, you know, I... Um, From that, it it really moved me during COVID time to when I found out that, you know, uh, the health disparities was a big contributor to, you know, people maybe uh, being more, uh, um, what's the word, vulnerable to getting Mm -hmm. COVID. I wanted to get that message out. So I sort of researched and Googled and I found information in other states that were putting information out. And I was the first one through our organization in 2020 to send out a, uh, door hanger, a door hanger that gave people information about safety tips with COVID. And I, uh, solicited other organizations that I knew were user friendly to me and what we were trying to do in this neighborhood. And they all gave some funding and some support and we had these door. we had a thousand door hangers printed and then um by then i had already started working with the high school students young men and we flied uh newhallville with that information so slowly but surely have been showing this community by doing that they can actually transform their own space they can actually create opportunities for themselves, they can actually help others by tapping into whatever gift and talent they have to share, to share it.
1: And it's no wonder that a year ago, you received a lifetime achievement award from the Connecticut chapter of the National Audubon uh, for championing environmental justice and community placemaking. Um, This is really an amazing project. It's incredible to me, actually, that as you talk about the interface of the gardening project and the and the i guess greening of your neighborhood with the promotion of health justice along with environmental justice, I think that's really incredible how the two things sort of um grew out of each other and uh r- 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 reinforced and and I guess what's the word uh Strengthened. Uh, strengthened. Um, I, I'm looking for a gardening term here. Oh, uh, cultivation. Um, yeah. No, like um, Steve, help me out here. <laughs> <laughs> I was
0: going to say cultivation too, but
1: <laughs> yeah, Cultivate <laughs> No, I, I guess I was thinking of like um, like putting some compost on, um, you know, on the uh, on the project to help it grow. It's right. Fantastic. There's fertilizing and then. Fertilize. It. There we go. Fertilizing. Yeah. That's the word I'm looking yeah. for. Um, so. Yeah. So, where do we stand with this project now? How much of that um, mud hole was that what it was called? How much of yeah. that have you actually transformed in, ter- in terms of uh, you know the the whole total area of it?
5: Okay. So, uh, we have the outdoor gym. We have the water fountain. We have the uh, bicycle repair station. We have uh, two seating areas. We have the block long pollinator garden across the street. We have a storage bin that has 25 bikes in it, helmets. Just this year, we were able to get um, the Bike League and Bradley Bike Co-op, who repairs bikes, to come to us one day a week, which is Saturday, is when we do our big free pancake breakfast. Oh my God. So for the pancake breakfast, we're flagging down people that come over on their bikes, sitting with us. And for the neighborhood, for people that are looking for something to eat, they're coming by and sitting and talking and meeting people. Um, you know, it, it's amazing to see now, me as the visionary, what it looks like on a Saturday morning between 10 and 12 o'clock. We do all of our activities during that time so that a place that used to be barren, nothing going on but bad stuff, written about a drug den, like the young lady said. Now is a pancake breakfast. Now kids are riding bikes. Now we have a we don't have a a reading library, but what we have is something called a knowledge box where we have purchased African American Stories about who is and who was and the famous people for things that they've done and achieved. And we offer that as a reading tool for young people to take a book, new, free, read it, come back, do an oral report of what you read, and then getting a movie ticket and this year with the support of the city we're adding to it that we will take them to the movies so I have a movie run one day a week for those who are reading
1: where do you go for the that part of it
5: well in the in the summer months uh, the movie theater has dollar uh, fifty day
1: which which Alexa, theater
5: which... uh north haven cinema
1: oh yeah okay
5: and so we'll take advantage of seeing whatever movie it is for
1: the week. I can't. It's hard for me to get wrap my brain around the, the immensity of what you've done. And you, st- when did, this started, like about ten years ago. Mm-hmm. Mm, wow. And you've you've obviously had support from, as you said, the city of New Haven and the um, URI, the Urban Renewal. Initiative Is that what it is?
5: Yes. We, we have now uh, 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 a great partnership with so many organizations. Uh, what I love about the partnership is um, CPEN became a nonprofit in 2019. I originally had done all that work just as a person wanting to give back, wanting to do something and seeing the response and building on that. Uh, But in 2019, we became a nonprofit, and at that time, now I had become a minority-led nonprofit. Not only that, but environmentalists. (laughs) And so it was about uh, my counterparts finding ways and accepting ways in which to engage with me, with me being the lead, me being the the lead con, uh, contact or connector to working with a diversity group of people. And so this has been great that now I can honestly say our partners are Audubon Connecticut, Connecticut Audubon. Our partner is Mamukatuk Audubon. Save the Sound is a partner. The Kellogg Environmental Center is a partner. And I've been able to build um, Nature Conservancy as a partner. The Water Authority is a partner. So I've allowed a space for people to engage with me to get that experience themselves of what is, how do we work to to sort of transform even the work that we're doing to be more diversified. And so... That's what I, I mean, this year I was asked to speak at Yale, asked to speak at Piac, you know, being asked to speak to the Euro, Euro Unitarian Humanity Group. You know, people just interesting, like, not only have I done it, but now they're asking how. And yeah. I'm loving this <laughs> because I think the answer is just do it. Can't be for numbers. Can't be that you're going to give up. Make sure. That is something you really want to do because there's some learning on your side. You know, with the systemic racism, it has always been people thinking about what other people need, never asking the people. But if you go in and you stay there and you build something between yourself and the people, that's what I've done.
1: It does sound like it all kind of grew from a molecule of you, one person going, starting to doing some planting, some kids coming around and, you know, just their natural curiosity, uh, leading them to getting, you know, getting their hands in the dirt and uh, participating in the project. And then next thing you know, you you have this thing growing into a, a community community wide engagement and by the way, this CPEN that you've been referring to, can you tell us what that stands for?
5: Yes. It is Community Placemaking Engagement Network. Mm, As mm. I started to do my asset map of Newhallville, I found out some things. One was that there were 7,500 people, that a third of them are single moms with families. A third are seniors. And then the rest are in between, I found out that there's no library, no community center, no place for 7,500 people to meet anywhere. I found out that there's no medical institution. This is a neighborhood that had been, uh, 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 labeled as trauma stricken, nothing positive. But what they did have is they have the largest portion of the Farmington canal trail. Yeah. What they have is 7,500 people in a one mile radius. What they have is they're like one street over from this neighborhood, Southern Connecticut university, Albertus Magnus is in Newhallville one block away from the Yale community one block away from Science Park. Yeah. So, (laughs) this has been created by design that this little pocket remains to be a place that's in need of resources and services, but there's no connection for it to the, to the city. And so, you know, CPEN took it on to do now, the funding and all that, that we get is not from, you know, a lot of the locals, um, it, we're starting uh, with the partnerships and those partnerships are doing uh, service and in kind and education and, uh, opportunities. And all that is now starting to build out of first Creating
1: something in the neighborhood—it's—it's it's incredible. And our guest here is Doreen Abubakar, who is the uh, director, I guess, executive director of CPEN Community Placemaking Engagement Network. Uh, Doreen, what an incredible story! I—I want to visit the park. I lived not far from Newhallville. I have friends who who live there <clears throat> still now, and I—I uh, I wonder, you know, how, it'd be great to to have like a just expose your project to to more parts of the city, so people can be as inspired as I feel right now. And I'm sure that uh, Laura and Steve also are are quite amazed by this whole thing. Definitely, we're Absolutely down. amazing, incredible. Yeah, we're down to our last minute. And uh, just last word from you, uh, Doreen, on this uh, this project and where you think you're going to go from here. And we literally do have 60 seconds.
5: <laughs> okay. Well, anybody who wants to come visit us, we're at 133 Hazel Street, H-A-Z-E-L Street. That is where our Urbanscapes Native Plant Nursery, that is the economic development piece that I've added to this whole project, where we actually grow and sell native plants.
3: Saturdays, 9 a.m. to 12 noon. Yes.
1: All right. Doreen Abubakar, thank you so much for being with us today on the Organic Farm Stand and good luck we hope to meet you and see your, uh, your project in the you know in its uh, actual <laughs> existence there in, uh, in New in, in New Haven and uh, my name is Richard Hill here with Laura Modlin Steve Munno, thank you so much thank again you, Doreen. for being thank on the farm you. great production work from Laura today and uh, we'll talk to you all soon a couple of weeks
5: I can thank you. Organic
1: This is the gaia environmental headlines from around a planet in crisis.
2: Chicagoans enjoyed a welcome glimpse of summer this week, but is expecting a pneumonia front that is forecast across the region. The National Weather Service predicted the 80-degree temperature at 5 p.m. would drop to 59 degrees by 7 p.m. The pneumonia front is a rare weather event exclusive to a specific part of the Midwest. Here in the Northeast, temperatures fell from the upper 60s to the low 40s overnight. A stifling heat wave enveloping the Pacific Northwest and Western Canada is expected to expand this week, threatening more temperature records. Unusually warm conditions swept across the Northwest in recent days, with some locations seeing their first 90-degree day of the warm season. Now, AccuWeather meteorologists warn that the summer-like conditions felt during the middle of May could stick around for a majority of the month. The weather map looks strongly reminiscent of late June 2021, which produced a deadly excessive heat event in the Pacific Northwest. According to the National Weather Service, a deluge of rain in Denver metro area broke a record last Thursday afternoon, with the rainfall totals only expected to grow. As of Friday morning, almost three inches of rain were measured at Denver International Airport. That breaks a daily record last set in 2011. Asia remains in the grip of a blistering heat wave, with predictions from climate scientists that 2023 could be the world's hottest year. An anonymous sign ahead of the Northern Hemisphere summer, an emerging El Nino weather pattern is pushing the mercury to unprecedented levels to southern parts of the continent. Vietnam reported its highest ever temperature over the weekend, triggering power shortage warnings, while Laos also broke records. The Philippines cut classroom hours after the heat index reached the danger zone, reflecting the potentially deadly combination of heat and humidity. Spain is running out of water. After a long, painful drought, the country has been hit by an unusually early heat wave, evaporating even more of the blue gold it still has left in its reservoirs. While farmers fear for their survival, environmentalists say it's time for Europe's back garden to rethink how it uses and manages its increasingly scarce water supply. This spring, large blobs of sargassum, a kind of algae, have been washing ashore in southeast Florida. It looks bad and smells worse. As the golden algae decompose, they release hydrogen sulfide, a gas that reeks of rotten eggs. Florida and other regions of the Caribbean are used to influxes of sarcasm in the spring and summer, but the invasions appear to be getting worse on average year over year. Many chemicals found in plastics are hazardous to human health and the environment, and environmental advocacy groups have long pushed for their elimination. The advocates scored a victory last week when parties in the Stockholm Convention, international treaty regulating hazardous pollutants, agreed to add three new chemicals to the list. The move is expected to safeguard people and the natural world. In the past two years, a viral disease has swept across much of the planet, and it's not COVID, but a type of avian flu. It's devastated the poultry industry in the U.S., Europe, and elsewhere, sickening millions of farm birds, which either die from infection or are killed by farmers seeking to stem the spread. Oregon on Monday became the 10th state in the U.S. to ban polystyrene foam food containers, dealing another blow to a plastic whose chemical components have been linked to cancer and nervous system damage. Starting in 2025, Oregon will ban the production, sale, and distribution of polystyrene foam cups and takeout food containers, as well as coolers and packing peanuts, anywhere in Oregon. It's part of a broader legislation effort in the Beaver State to replace single-use plastics with reusable alternatives.
1: This was the Gaiagram, environmental headlines from around a planet in crisis.
3: WPKN Programming is supported by Novamont, a
5: Connecticut company, manufacturers of MatterBee, a family of completely
3: biodegradable and compostable bioplastics, which are being used to provide low environmental impact solutions for everyday products. More information is
5: available at materbi.com slash en.
1: Hi, this is Ian Hunter. You're listening to WPKN, Bridgeport, Connecticut, 89.5 FM. Listener supported, community radio, streaming around the world on WPKN.org.